Change your world. Matthew chapter five is the theme text. Last week, Ed White did an amazing job setting the foundation. We got to give it up for Ed. We got a, a phone call this week to our office. The lady said, that was the best preacher. We love your pastor. Is he preaching again next week? I said, well, will you come back if he does? So we told her, yes, Ed will preach again at our church. And, and they tried to tell her that the pastor is good too. But Ed is awesome. It's good to have a, a chairman of elders who is just so passionate like Ed is. So Ed, thank you for last week. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Let me say, God did not create you to be hidden, but God created you to be out shining your light to the world. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. That's how you do it. That is practically. Now, God didn't create us to be glow worms. We were walking around and we just shine. The way we shine to the world around us is our good deeds. It's our good works. It's the way we serve and our, our kindness and generosity. That's the light that God created you with so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. That's the result. When you live a life of serving and doing good, people are going to want what you have and they're going to praise your heavenly father as a result, last week, Ed started us off with the big picture, the seven mountains of influence that God wants us as believers to take. God wants to raise up people in politics and entertainment and education and the medical world to really make a difference. Today, I want to bring it down and make it personal. What can we do to make an influence in the world that we live? And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's not me because I don't have influence. Influence is for influential people. That's for, you know, sports stars and celebrities and pastors and politicians. I'm just a regular Joe. So what can I do? No, you have influence. God has created every single person with there are people that you have the ability to influence that nobody else can influence. And so we named this series very intentionally. We could have said change the world, but God's not asking you to change the world. God wants you to change your world. Each of you have a world that you live in, people in your world. And God is asking you to change the world that you live in. So today we're going to talk about my sphere of influence. What is my sphere of influence? The people kind of in my world that God has commissioned me, called me to make a difference in their life. I'm going to read you a story out of Acts chapter 16 today. I'm going to begin in verse 16. I, I don't think we had notes to put or enough room in the notes. So I think we started you in verse 23. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at start with verse 16. And we're going to go through this entire story to show you one word at the end of this story. Verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master. So this girl was owned by other people. They were exploiting her. She was demon possessed. She had all sorts of issues and problems. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, she's not helping the apostles here. She's trying to expose them. She's trying to get them in trouble. She's trying to kind of, uh, uh, you know, show everyone who these people are, not to help them, but to really damage what they were doing. And I love the way Satan always overplays his hand. I mean, everything he tries to do just ends up backfiring on him. So verse 18 says, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, 
I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. I mean, we need a lot more of that going on today. And instantly it left her. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. How many agree this is a bad day? This is a bad day for anybody. And, and what would typical, typically do is they would go off and they would whine and they would cry and they would say, God, why me? We're just serving you. We're just doing our best for you. Why all this hardship? Why all these trials? Why are we beaten and bloody and just, just being treated like this? That's what most people do. They'd go off and complain and cry. But look what happens with Paul and Silas. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. The inner dungeon is the most secure area of the dungeon. If it was winter, it would have been freezing cold. If it was summer, it would have been muggy and hot. And he clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, these stocks were were designed in a way that would almost pull your hips out of socket. It was a very painful position to be in. So they're beaten. They're bloody. They're they're in this inner dungeon. So it's either freezing cold or it's hot and muggy. They're in stocks. So their, their hips are coming out of socket. And it says that around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know if I could react in my worst day like this. I mean, this is the worst day of these guys' life. And they're sitting here singing and praising and offering hymns to God. And look at this. And the other prisoners were listening. Let me say, people are watching how you react to your bad day. People are listening. People want to know if your God is real. And so when you get thrown into the middle of hell, when you're in the middle of life's worst day, somebody's watching how you handle that day. Somebody's watching how you react when things don't go your way. Somebody wants to know, what are you going to do? Because your life isn't just about you when you're a Christian. People want to know, is your God real? Is what you say about your God true? And they're watching you on your worst day to see how you're going to react. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And let me just say also, when God does something big in your life, it's not just for you, but people around you are going to be affected. When you get free, people around you are going to get free. When you deal with your issues, people around you are going to deal with your issues. Your life doesn't just affect you, but everyone around you will be impacted when God moves in your life. Verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. The reason he was going to commit suicide is because his boss would have tortured and killed him for allowing the prisoners to escape. Verse 28, Paul shouted to him, don't stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, man, you guys are different. There's something different about you're not like everyone else. I want what you have. I want some of your God. And he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can I ask you a question today? When's the last time somebody asked that question of you because of your life? 
When's the last time somebody walked up to you and said, what do I need to do to be like you? What do I need to do to be saved? There's something different about you. You don't live like everyone else. Your life is different. When's the last time somebody asked that of you? What must I do to be saved? They they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now, Paul and Silas weren't saying that, that, you know, your children are going to automatically go to heaven because you're now going to heaven. He said, everyone in your house is now going to be impacted because of the way we impacted you. And this word household is the word I want to look at today. In the Greek, it's the word oikos. It's not just a physical house or a physical family, but it's literally everybody under your roof of influence. The people in your household, the people under your influence, the people you're in relationship with or your sphere of influence. That's what this word oikos is. Paul was saying to the jailer, now that we have impacted your life, the way we impacted your life, go and impact the lives of the people in your oikos, under your influence, in your kind of relationship network, impact their lives. And that's what oikos means. Oikos means when I get saved, God wants me to reach the people around me. That's why we're saying change your world. Because all of you have an oikos. You have a sphere of influence. People that God has created you to impact for him. So let's look at our oikos today. I want to break down our oikos and help you kind of understand what your your sphere of influence is. Your oikos in life. First off, we all have my people. We all got them. We all got people in our life. We have my people. You have friends. You have family members. You have coworkers. You have classmates, people that you go to school with. You have deskmates at work. You've got bosses. You've got employees. We all have people in our life. And you need to understand today, there is an expectation from God for you to reach the people that he has placed you around. You don't have neighbors accidentally. You don't work with those people accidentally. You don't sit in class every week accidentally. God placed you in that position with those people to make a difference. Your life is no accident. God strategically sent you there. Sociologists tell us that the average person has 12 uh, key relationships in their life. Everyone has 12, not 15, not eight. 12 key relationships is what the average person has. And the way they define key relationships are anybody you spend an hour or more with a week in face-to-face interaction, a a meaningful relationship, talking, uh, one hour or more a week. All of us have, on average, 12 people in our sphere of influence. Now, another interesting side note is the average father spends seven minutes a day of meaningful interaction with their kids. Now, do the math. Seven minutes times seven days is 49 minutes. This means in most families, the children wouldn't even be in the father's twelve. Now, that needs to change, but that's for another message we'll get into another time. First off, what do we do with these people in our life? What does God expect out of us? What are we called to do? What is our instructions from the book? Let's look at this. Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, now go home to your family and tell them. 
tell them you better get saved or you're going to burn in hell. No, that's not what it says to tell them. I think some people got this warped idea. That's what we're supposed to do. But look what Jesus says. He says, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you. Notice it doesn't say, go tell them uh, what they need to do with their life. No, it doesn't say that. It says, just just go tell them what God has done for you. That's all I want you to do. Go tell them what I've done in your life. Just just be a witness. I mean, a witness is the easiest job in the world because all a witness does is tell their side of the story. God doesn't want you to be a judge. He doesn't want you to be a prosecutor. He doesn't want you to be a defense attorney. He just wants you to be a witness. Just tell your side of the story. Tell them everything God did for you and how merciful he's been. That's our job. So we all have my people. The second part of our oikos is we all have my place. My place, the place that God has put me in. Acts 17 says God has decided the times and places of all of man. There is no accident today about the place that you're in. He has positioned you strategically in the place that you're in. And one of the reasons God does this is so that you'll ask him what you're supposed to do. God wants you to come before him and say, God, what do you want me to do about the place that I'm in? And let me also say, even if you don't like the place you're in today, even if you just don't like where you're at, don't like your job, don't like your home, if you don't like the place you're in today, you still need to take advantage of it because God still has you there for a purpose and for a reason. You are not in that place on accident. So here's my prayer for you. Psalm 90, verse 17. And may the Lord our God show us his approval or his favor And make our efforts, the work of our hands, successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. God has not placed you on planet Earth to make a living. You're not here to work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and hopefully get to retirement one day. That's not God's great plan for your life. God placed you here with purpose to change your world, to impact your sphere of influence. God has strategically created you and placed you. In your career, your vocation, your school, your assignment is God's plan in ministry for your life. That's where God wants you to minister. You need to understand every single one of you that follow Jesus Christ are a missionary. You don't have to go to Africa to be a missionary. All of you are missionaries. God put you in your neighborhood to be a missionary to your neighborhoods. God put you in your school to be a missionary to to the kids at school. God put you in your workplace to be a missionary to the people that you work with. All of us are missionaries. That's simply what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So God, make our efforts successful. Make the work of our hand successful. So we all have my people. We all got our place. And then lastly, we have my passion. All of you have passion. All of you have desires. All of you have certain things that just kind of fire you up inside. And, and, and you don't even know all the time where they come from. I mean, there'll be times at church, you'll be hearing a story of some missions project and it doesn't affect you. It doesn't phase you. It doesn't stir you at all. And then there's other times you'll be at church and you'll be hearing uh, about some certain initiative and you just get fired up on the inside. You just have a passion. You have a desire. Something inside of you is just drawing you and you don't know why you're drawn to certain things and you're not drawn to other things. Those are passions that God gives you. And what we want to do as a church family is build a church on your 
passions. That's why one of the things that we don't allow at Coastline Church is volunteers. Nobody is allowed to volunteer at Coastline Church. We don't have any volunteers in our church. None. We, we don't take volunteers. The other day I met with somebody and they said, you know, God's really changing my heart in this church. Where do you need me? Well, the truth is we don't need you anywhere. Our church is actually running quite well. What we would like for you is to figure out why God put you on earth and do that. Do that because if you'll do that, our whole church will be better because I'm determined as a pastor to not build a church where I got to get up here every single week and tell you what you need to do. I'm just not going to do that. It's not about what I think you need to do. It's about what God created you to do. If you'll do what God created you and God gifted you and God gave you a passion to do, the entire body of Christ would be better than us continually fighting to get people to volunteer for something they're not passionate about. So we want to build this church as a reflection of you, not a reflection of my ideas. That's why the Discover course is created the way it is. Our, tonight, 301 at 5 o'clock, the entire purpose of that class is to help you figure out what is your passion, what are your spiritual gifts, what is your kind of leadership and personality style, so that you can figure out where God, not where we want you, but where God wants you. Because if you'll get plugged into where God wants you and where God created you for you'll love it. You'll love it and you'll make a difference. And so I would just encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, if you don't know what's inside of you and you're not plugged in using what God come tonight and really let God help you figure out, because that's the heart of this. All of our small groups are built on passions. That's why we don't tell you what you have to study in a small group. Like we have small groups built on people's passions. We had a lady come to discover course recently and she had a heart to feed homeless people in the park. So she's now built a small group. She's got a team of people every week. They go out and they feed the homeless in the parks. We have a small group of people that are very passionate about our orphanage in Mexico. We have a small group of people that are passionate about nursing homes, a small group of people that are passionate about surfing and they go out every Saturday morning. We just want to build what your passionate about and just kind of empower your passions. So I love Psalm 37 verse four. It says, take delight in the Lord. Now this word delight in the Hebrew is the same word that a bride would use in putting on a wedding dress. Make yourself beautiful to God, make yourself pleasing to God. And it says, and he will give you your heart's desires. God will give you the desires of your heart. Now, let me explain this. This doesn't mean God's going to give you whatever you want. This means God's going to give you the want. Did you catch that? God's not going to give you whatever you want. God's going to give you the want. When you're in a right relationship with God, when you're making yourself pleasing to God, God's going to put certain desires inside you, certain passions inside you, certain wants inside of you, and he's going to let you fulfill the wants that he places inside your life. Let me show you how that plays out. If you're let's say God's just put this, this passion for serving inside of you. Then you came to church today and you saw some of the chairs out of order in a row. And you thought, well, we got to fix that and get these chairs straightened up. You're in the bathroom. You see a piece of trash on the ground. You're like, well, that needs to be picked up. If God's put a passion inside of you for mercy, you'll come to church and you'll see somebody sitting by themselves and think, well, I wonder who they're sitting with. We may need to find them, you know, someone to make sure that they're not alone, make sure someone's loving on them or caring for them. And, and, and that's just a passion of yours. If you have a passion and, and kind of a desire for leadership, you're sitting out there today thinking, I could preach this message so much better than Aaron could. <laughs> And that's okay. I mean, we all have different passions, different desires, different things that God puts inside of us. 
I used to think the local church was the hope of the world. Now I realize it's the local church mobilized that's the hope of the world. See, it's when you figure out why God put you on earth. When you figure out what is your passion, what is your gifting, where do you fit, what does God want for you? When you do that, that's what changes the world. So let's ask ourselves, how do we make a difference? I'm going to give you three things today that you can do before you get to your car in the parking lot. Three things that you can start applying right now in your life to begin to change your world and your sphere of influence. First thing is, number one, our manner. Our manner. We all have a manner about us. I don't know about you, but growing up, I used to hear a lot from my mom. We'd pull up to somebody's house for dinner. Now, mind your manners when you get in there. I mean, how many, how many ever heard that growing up? Mind your manners. Basically, don't act in there the way you're acting in the car. Mind your manners. We all have manners. We all have a certain way about us. And the Bible talks a lot about our manners. The Bible talks a lot about the manners of a Christian, the way we are to live our life in such a way that we are attractive to the world. And I know some of you are thinking right now, well, I'm already disqualified because if you knew my reputation at work, I'm just a pessimist. I'm a realist. I just see the glass half empty. No, you can choose to change. You can choose to mine your manners according to the word of God. You can have a faith outlook on life and learn to develop gracious and attractive speech that impacts and changes the world and live in such a way that people are drawn to the Christ inside of you because you learn how to mine your manners. And let me say, all of us really, we want to change. We all want, no one, no one really likes to be where they're at. All of us want growth. We all want change in our life. But here's the problem. If your only motivation to change yourself is you, you're not going to change really fast if you change at all. You have to have greater motivation than your own needs, than your own self, than your own desire. You got to have some type of external motivation. So let me give you the number one thing that will motivate you for growth. The number one thing that will help you grow spiritually in our church. And we've seen it over and over and over and over is to lead a small group. I'm telling you, you want growth in your life, lead a small, ask Ed White, ask Joe Young. They stepped into small group leadership and their, their spiritual growth just began to skyrocket and accelerate because it wasn't about them anymore, but people were depending on them. I'm telling you, man, you got 20 people showing up at your house on Friday night and you have a big blow up fight with your wife. You got a lot of motivation to work it out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, baby, we got to get this thing figured out. People are going to show up in an hour. I mean, fights that used to take you 10 days to work out now last 10 minutes because you got some motivation to deal with it. I'm just saying the greatest thing on my marriage is the fact that I pastor this church because there's a lot of motivation on my wife and I to keep ourselves healthy because we get in fights and we're like, man, there's, we gotta work. there's another weekend on its way. I mean, every week, these Sundays just keep coming around. They never end. <laughs> and I just figure that you probably want a pastor that's getting along with his wife. And so we got a lot of motivation to work things out. Bible says in Colossians 4, live wisely, basically mind your manners among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. If we recorded you all day long, how would it sound? So that you always have the right response for everyone. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your goal in life to live a quiet life. Minding your own business or minding your manners. Working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians will respect 
the way that you live. See, we're supposed to live in such a way that we have this attractive lifestyle. We're the salt. We're the light to this world. We should look good to people because we live a certain way. We have gracious speech. We have a loving, peaceful, graceful, joyful, just countenance about us that people are just drawn to the Christ that's in us. So God changed me so I can make a difference in the world. So first thing is our manner. Second thing is our moment. You have to recognize the moment in your life. You are all given moments. You have moments every single day. You need to recognize those moments and understand those moments are opportunities to change somebody's world for the kingdom of God. But you think about it like this right now, there's like six billion people just just moving around this this giant ball called Earth, bumping into each other, having moments, encounters, intersections where they're just kind of connecting. And it's no accident. God is strategically, divinely orchestrating these intersections, these appointments, these moments, these these bumps in life. And you have to recognize those moments when you take your dog on a walk and you run into your neighbor. That wasn't an accident. It was a moment. It was an intersection. It was a divine appointment. God just gave you to impact them for the kingdom. When you're pushing your shopping cart at the grocery store and you run into somebody else's shopping cart, it wasn't an accident. It was a moment for you to divinely impact their life for the kingdom. You have to recognize every moment in your life is an opportunity that God has strategically created. A couple weeks ago, uh, Jason and I were on our way to London and we were, we were in the airport, the duty-free shop, and there's this flight attendant and she was, she was an older lady, just jolly as can be, had this giant bottle of rum and she was just having a good time. I thought, you, you know, she had already opened the rum, it seemed like, just because she was just so lively. And so we struck up a conversation, having a good time. We get to our, our gate to board and she was taking the ticket at the door. It's like, man, I hope this flight attendant's not drunk. I hope the pilot's at least sober. And so we got on the plane and, you know, every once in a while she would come down on our row and just just having this conversation and just talking and, and laughing and having a good time and, and we recognize the moment she asked us she goes well where are you guys going in england we said we're going to this little village south of london called horsham and her eyes got really big and she was like and she's like you're lying to me and i'm like no no, no we're really going to horsham she goes no americans would ever go to horsham americans don't even know where horsham is i was like well why is that a big deal she goes i live in horsham <laughs> and we knew there was a moment there and so we, uh, we invited her to lunch that week and she came out with me and Jason and the pastor and his wife. And we, we just laughed and got there. And she's like, well, I'm not religious. I'm not a church person at all. And we're like, that's okay. You don't have to be a church person to come because we're not really religious either. And she just, you know, and I, I can almost see God beginning to work on her heart. And I can't wait to see her in church, uh, you know, in, in a few weeks time, just watching God work on her heart and do something in her life because you recognize those moments. They're not accidents. They're not accidents. You bumping into the people you bump into, you walking by people on the street, you running into neighbors. Those aren't accidents. They're moments. Look at this. Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the world changers, of the influential, of the godly. The Lord directs their steps. He delights in every detail of their lives. Do you know God delights in the little details of your life? See, we think God is this distant being in the sky that we don't have any connection with or any relation. No, God delights in the smallest details of your life. He's not a distant God. He's a personal father. He's somebody that has relationship with us, that wants to know what we're going through and what we're dealing with and how he can help and love us and be a partner with us in life. 
Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I love that. We make our plans. We think we make our plans. No, we didn't make those plans. God determined those steps. Let me say it like this. You think you scheduled that meeting tomorrow morning at work? You didn't schedule that meeting tomorrow morning at work. God directed your steps to be in that meeting tomorrow morning at work. It's no accident. You, you, you think you just set up that meeting because you've got some business deal you're working on and, and you needed to do that meeting. No, you didn't set up that meeting just because you have a business deal. God determined you to be in that situation. So why not recognize that moment and use it for the kingdom? Why not throw in a little God bless you? Is there anything I can pray for? Jesus loves you. And when you send out a little text, Send them a little God bless you and just recognize the moments God has given you that they're not by accident. They're intersections. And if you'll live this way, life's fun. I mean, you'll wake up every morning and you'll say, let the intersections begin. And all hell's going to tremble every morning when you leave the house because they're going to be like, oh, no, what's going to happen now? Because you're out there looking for the moments God gives you to make a difference. And then lastly, we need to know our message. We need to know our message. And we don't have this turn or burn, you're going to go to hell message. I am so sick of people knowing what the church is against. I want people to know what the church is for. I mean, we're not against people with holes in their jeans. We're for people. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw it in there. My bad. Man, I'm going to be in trouble this week. We have a message. First, first Peter three fifteen says, and if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Let me give everybody some homework today. Every single one of you should be able to share your story in three minutes or less. You need to practice and work on sharing your story in three minutes or less. I grew up in a very religious home. My dad was a preacher. He ended up having affairs on my family and abandoned us and left us. I saw the ugly side of religion. I wanted nothing to do with God. I hated the church. I hated Christians. I was just totally again. I got involved in drugs and alcohol. My pastor told my mom to give up on me. I was hopeless. And it wasn't until I got to a place where I realized God didn't want to be my religion. He wanted to be my dad and he loved me and he believed in me and he had a plan for my life. Even when everyone else gave up on me, he never gave up on me. See, it wasn't until that's my story. It wasn't until I realized that that I surrendered it all and realized it's good to give it all for him. He can use me to do something significant with my life. That's my story. So let me close with this. Second Corinthians chapter five. This means that anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Let me explain. God doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you new. God's not into improvement. He's into making you new. If you're here today because you want to become a better person, you're here for the wrong reasons. God doesn't want to make you better. God doesn't want to improve you. God wants to make you completely new. He wants to change everything, get rid of the old and bring in the new. Because look, it says the old life is gone. A new life has become. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, this mission, this job, this assignment. This is your job. You want to know what is God's will for my life? What is God's plan for my life? This is God's plan for you. He's given you this task of reconciling people to him. That's God's plan for your life. He wants you to reconcile people to him. Now, the word reconcile is an accounting term. It means to bring the balance to zero. That's God's plan for your life, for you to go out there and help people bring their balance to zero. How do we bring our balance to zero? Say yes to Christ. 
See, they're walking around with this, this, this record of just things they're ashamed of, things that they regret, sin, mistakes, just, just things that, you know, it's just this darkness. And what God wants you to do is tell them, listen, we can bring your balances. We can wipe all that away. You can have a zero balance. Jesus paid for all of that. If, you, if you'll say yes to him, he'll wipe it all away. You can have a clean record. You'll be perfect. You'll be white as snow. You can have a zero balance. And look what it says. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. I got to tell you, I am so grateful today that God doesn't count my sin against me because I don't deserve to stand here right now. If you knew my past, if you knew the things that I've done, there's nothing I've done in my life to deserve to stand before you today. I've got so many things I'm ashamed of that I regret. The reason I'm here today is because I serve a God that doesn't count my sin against me. I serve a God that doesn't tie me to my past. He's given me a fresh start. He's given me a zero balance. I can stand here today with a zero balance. Perfect and righteous. Not because I'm a good person, because I'm not a good person. I can do it because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And he gave us, us, this wonderful message of reconciliation. And man, it is wonderful. It should be so easy to be a witness because it's a wonderful message. I mean, when you got some exciting news to share with somebody, you're not ashamed. You're not embarrassed. You're not timid. Like you, you can't wait to share it because it's wonderful. It's exciting. Well, if you understood the message, then you'd be more excited about. See, so many of us think the message is you're going to go to hell. No, that's not that the message is God can give you a zero balance. You don't have to live tied to your past. You have a God that doesn't want to count your sin against you, but wants to give you a zero balance. That's exciting. That's wonderful. That's good news. That he loves us. And so if you'll get the message right, then you'll have the passion to share it. Because it is a wonderful message. It is good news to share with people. It's not darkness. It's not death. It's not damnation. It's not hellfire. It's good news. Wonderful news. You have a God that will give you a zero balance today. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Before we leave today, I just want to ask if there's anyone here today that needs to receive that zero balance. You're here today and you've got a pretty ugly record that you're holding on to. You've got stuff that you're ashamed of. You've got stuff that you regret. You've got stuff that you feel like it's so dark, it's so sick, it's so ugly. There's just no way that God can really forgive me. I mean, it's just too... You need to know today, God wants to give you a zero balance today. God wants to give you a life where he doesn't count your sin against you, but he gives you a fresh start. That's the wonderful message of Christ. And all you have to do is say yes to his son. His son died on a cross to pay for everything on your record. He was innocent. There's nothing on his record. And he wants to exchange records with you today. He wants to say, give me your record. Give me all the sin. Give me all the darkness. Give me everything you're ashamed of. Let me have it and I'll give you my record. My record's perfect. My record's spotless. My record's clean. Who wouldn't want to make that deal today? To trade records with Christ. 
Like Christ is sitting here today saying, I'll give you my record if you'll give me your record. Yes, I'll do that. That sounds good. So if that's you today and you've never made that trade, you've never made that exchange, you've never said, listen, I'll give you my record if I can have yours. And the thing you need to understand about it is he wants to give it to you. It's not like he, he has to do it, but doesn't feel like doing it. No, he wants to do it. I mean, he's already paid the price. It's not like he has to die again. All you have to be is willing to make the trade. Say, God, I'll give you my life. I'll lay it all down for you. I'll trade you my life for your life. So if you're here today and you need to make that trade, you need that zero balance. You need to say yes to Jesus Christ. With every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to even say anything out loud. I'm going to say a simple prayer. You can say it in your heart. God can hear your heart. I just want to know who you are so that I can say it with you. But if that's you today, you need to receive that zero balance today. With every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand quickly so that I can see you and pray with you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the prayer. The first part of the prayer is you make the trade. You say, God, I say yes to the trade. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So in your own words, would you say, God, I say yes, and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The second part is the zero balance. Would you say, God, I need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me and give me a zero balance? And God absolutely wants to say yes to this. So would you just say, God, will you forgive me today and give me a zero balance? And then the last part of the prayer is just say thank you. Say, God, thank you. Thank you. Now, would you look up here just quickly? If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to take one more step on your own. On the connection card, it says, I'm committing my life to Christ. And then there's a box that says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you made either decision today, would you check one of those boxes, drop it off when you leave in one of the tithe and offering boxes? We want to support you. We want to resource you. We just want to provide the family uh, support that you need to walk out the decision you made. There's these books outside that say, now what? It's a great question. I made a decision for God today. Now what? Pick up one of these. It'll walk you through the next steps. And then lastly, we have Bibles available for everyone. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, we'd be so honored and blessed to give you a copy of the Bible today. This is the greatest gift you'll ever receive, and it'll change your life. Will you stand with me as we close? Forget about the barbecue this afternoon for Operation Christmas Child. Everybody's invited. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, let us begin to recognize the moment, the people, the place that we're in, God. Let us let us begin to mind our manners for you and really represent you well and understand the message of reconciliation you've given us. In the name of Jesus Christ, let us go out and change the world that you've placed us in. Amen. Have a great week.